Hey, this is Mohani Love from Let's Talk About It. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. To Mohani Loves Podcast, let's talk about it. And today for Friday, I have Mr. Joshua Shea. Joshua Shea is a former pornography addict turned expert on a mission to get the world talking about pornography addiction and the potential ramifications being a porn addict can cause. He's given a TED Talk and written three books on the subject. Joshua, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it, Joshua. So we can... We can get right into it. But how are you today? For How's your Friday? This is a great way to end my Friday. I've had a week full of clients that I coach, and uh, it's been hectic, and it's nice to end my week on a Friday afternoon with a simple conversation where I'm not trying to help someone solve the world's problems. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Well, um... I would like to, a lot of the questions I want to ask you are prompt questions, but also questions that pique my curiosity. Yeah, absolutely. I am an open book when it comes to pornography addiction, betrayal trauma, the life I've lived, the stuff I do, because this is all stuff that we need to talk about as a society. So you ask away and I will happily answer. Okay. So... I want to know, like, at what age did you start watching pornography? Because, you know, we've all watched porn. Right, right. Yes, yes. To, uh, so to, I, not, have, to not have watched porn makes you a real unique unicorn. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, it was actually 12 years old when I saw hardcore pornography for the first time. And I will tell you that within uh, probably one minute, I was addicted. This was not some long process of becoming addicted. My, I was 12. My cousin was probably 15 years old. He showed me a couple magazines and I don't, I don't even remember the names of the magazines. I don't remember <laughs> what the people were doing in the pictures, but mm -hmm. I remember that this very warm feeling came over me and I just felt like I had discovered something that was one of the secrets to life. Like, I, I don't know at 12 years old what I thought would happen or what ex I expected, but I had a, a, a body reaction, a mind reaction to this pornography that I had never had to anything before. And I'll tell you, the only other time I've ever had this kind of feeling was about mm -hmm. two weeks, two, I'm sorry, two years later, when I was 14 years old, I was at a wedding 
and I got drunk for the first time ever. And it was one of those things where all of a sudden I felt like I had this warm feeling come over me. I felt like I could solve the world's problems and that nothing could touch me. It was the exact same thing that I felt with the pornography two years later. So really from around 12 years old, I was hooked on pornography. Around 14, I was hooked on alcohol. And uh, that was the way that I was straight up till seven years ago when I was uh, 37 years old. Well, did your did you ever get caught? Like when did you ever find out about the porn? My mom once found a stray Playboy magazine um, and wanted to know what the hell that was doing there because she was a very good Catholic uh <laughs> You know, French Catholic from the Northeast, very mm-hmm. conservative kind of woman. And uh, she uh, she wanted to know what in the hell that magazine was doing in her house. And I said that a friend gave it to me because it had an article I needed for a project in school. And mm-hmm. I quickly grabbed the magazine and opened it up to the interview. And I remember it was about Dan Aykroyd, uh, the <laughs> actor. And I saw one answer where he said he believed in ghosts. And I quickly told, I was probably 16, 17 at the time. So towards the end of high school, I said to my mom real fast that I was studying uh, people who are comedians and their belief in uh, the afterlife and in ghosts. And she looked at that answer and she was like, well, couldn't you just photocopy this or rip it out? Did you need this whole smut magazine? And meanwhile, she didn't realize that in the uh, filing cabinet that was in my room, just three feet away from her, there was probably another hundred magazines, uh, 20 videotapes. And she she had no idea that three or four times a week, After school, I went to the video store when we still had those and Mm -hmm. I would rent two porno movies every day and I would go to the little convenience store down the down the street and I would buy three or four beers almost every day. She had no idea about that. I was very good at hiding things from everybody. When I think when you're a a teenage boy or even teenage girl and you have to practice hiding stuff from your mom, uh, by the time you get married, it's not hard to hide stuff from the other person because I had to hide stuff from my mom's prying eyes and nobody has ever had prying eyes like my mom. So once I mastered her, I could, I could, I could hide it from anybody. Well, ask you, I have to ask you, even though this is a risque topic, mm-hmm. I have to ask you something risque to go along with that. That makes your, sense. <laughs> did your pornography accompany masturbation? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and oh. I, I think early on, early on, I didn't even recognize they were different things. I mean, I thought they went together like peanut butter and jelly. And what was actually interesting was uh, that uh, it turned out I was only addicted to pornography because when my pornography use disappeared, my masturbation probably disappeared 96, 97%. It was so tied into the pornography that I would have told you I was addicted to both. And what's interesting with the men and some women actually now who I coach who are porn addicts, um, 
I have to make sure that they are addicted to porn and not masturbation, or if they're addicted to both, because handling each one is very different. Uh, you know, if you're addicted to porn, that's one thing. If you're addicted to masturbation, that's a very different thing and serves a very different master. In most cases, the people who are addicted to pornography, it's just the pornography. But for people who are addicted to both, uh, you have to tackle both of them. They, they are they are two very different things. Was the pornography, did it, did it range from soft porn to hard porn? Uh, in my 27 years as an addict, I probably saw everything at least once, probably twice. Because you have to realize, porn addiction is not like recreational porn use. Porn right. addiction doesn't take place between the legs, just like food addiction doesn't take place in the stomach. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it all takes place between the ears. Your brain is your addicted organ. It has nothing to do, you know, if someone who's a cocaine addict, it's not that their nose is addicted. It's that their brain is addicted. And yeah. people who use pornography use it differently than people who are just looking to get off like a normal person. I was using it to calm the storm that was in my head. And unfortunately, like so many addictions, and I can, you know, equate this to my drinking, you mm -hmm. start at a certain level, you know, with beer. And then mm -hmm. when you, when that's not strong enough, you move to wine. When that's not strong enough, you move to hard stuff. When, you wow. know, two beer, when two beers doesn't do it, you drink four. When four beers doesn't do it, you drink six. And then you mm -hmm. find yourself eventually, you know, taking shots of, really bad whiskey or whatever and you realize you know good lord i've got a problem if i'm drinking this now because it's not about socializing it's not about flavor it's just about getting this poison into my system and that's kind of the way that 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 pornography was you know you can most people start very simple one man one woman or you know what whatever you're into as far as as coupling goes but with most porn addicts, eventually it has to become three people or four people, or the people have to start having different races or different, you know, sex acts. And it does need to get more extreme. It does need to get uh, more exotic. With most porn addicts, you will talk to people who have seen some really outrageous stuff. And it's not that it's not that they want to see some of this outrageous stuff. It's just that it was that stuff that got to them that day. You know, if you're looking at something and it's not tickling your your pleasure centers, uh, mm -hmm. which is really which is really what an addict is going for, you try mm -hmm. to find something else. And I always have to tell people uh, who are addicts or even who are the partners of addicts who have a lot of questions is that, you know, we are not the porn we look at. Just because I looked at something maybe transgendered or gay or old people or, you know, whatever, what people playing with food or, you know, you, you go to a porn site and you see those 500 and, different crazy genres. Um, yeah, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You know what? I don't know why, you know, an Asian cheerleader is going to do it for me one day and... <laughs> And two blonde girls running on the beach are going to do it for me the next day. I, I had, I would have no idea when I would sit down in front of the computer. What I needed to do was just find that piece of porn that was out there that could satiate my mind for that day. And did, as did you go on, it has to become a little bit weirder and a little more extreme. Well, um, 
I have a question. In doing your research, and I, I call it research because you do have to research the people that you're helping and counseling. Yes, absolutely. So was there any molestation when they were younger or maybe their life experience growing up? Well, um, I can tell you um, as a matter of statistics that uh, over 80% of American men who identify as pornography or sex addicts have some form of uh, sexual abuse in their past. Mm. Uh, and that's a lot of the trauma that causes people to move towards uh, pornography. But I do also want to point out that, and again, this is just American men. I know the uh, stats of because mm -hmm. of a study that came out. Uh, around 70% of, of American men who are sex or porn addicts have physical abuse in their background as a child. Mm. And over 90, this is the really shocking one, almost 95% have some kind of mental or emotional abuse in their background that they have untreated uh, trauma for. So when you think about this, 70% for physical, 80% for sexual, 95% for mental or emotional, the statistics state that most men who are porn or sex addicts have two or three kinds of unresolved trauma in their life. Um, and I was, I was exactly that person. You know, when I was a kid, I was uh, unfortunately on the receiving end of both sexual abuse and uh, mental and emotional abuse at the hands of the babysitter that my parents uh, had watched me every day when I was wow. a small kid. Um, and that's, and unfortunately, and I've, I've been to rehabs. I've obviously I'm coaching these people. I have been in other groups. I've been and talked with people one-on-one -on -one, and I think those numbers may even be low to, to be honest with you when it comes to the physical and sexual side of things. I mm -hmm. have a feeling that it may be closer to 90% when it wow. comes to pornography use. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty bad how much unresolved trauma there is with, with this particular addiction with, uh, alcohol, for instance, only, and I say only, but 66% of people have some kind of unresolved trauma because of those three issues. So that's two out of three. But when you look at porn addiction with men, that's literally 19 out of 20, which kind of shows both with the alcohol and with the porn and with every other substance or behavior you can find out there, the main problem is never the addiction. The addiction is a symptom of the main problem. You become an addict because of something else. If you just take care of the addiction, that's great, but you're not taking care of the addictive mind. That's what needs, that's what develops out of trauma is an addictive mind. And you need to go and take care of that as part of recovery. And if you can take care of the addictive mind, a lot of those addictions will, will simply take care of themselves because you need to figure out how you became that person in the first place to overcome it. Now, when you started to date, you your first relationship and as a teenager, I'm guessing. Yes, how, 15, 15 how, years old. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Even though you may have been sexually active, it didn't um satisfy that hunger for porn 
there is no hunger for porn with sex. They're two completely different things. Different. Right. They That's serve different. completely different masters. That would be like uh, if if I took you, if you were a food addict, let's say, mm-hmm. and I take you out for lunch every day that week, you know, the fact that at midnight you're still binging, um, you know, has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with our lunch. It has ah. to do with whatever is in your head at midnight. Um, you know, through you will see here, the thing that throws a lot of people, and this is this is kind of what's interesting, is mm-hmm. that if you look at all addicts, uh, mm-hmm. heroin, gambling, you name it, you look at addicts across the board. Addicts will always report, and if you do the chemical studies, you will see with every addict there is a reduced libido. Um, there are some things like heroin or meth that almost completely dry you up. Um, but there is a huge drop in libido, even with porn addiction, even with sex addiction. I could literally be going out and having dangerous, risky sex with people every night, but have no sex drive as a normal, healthy guy, because mm. I'm not after having sex with this woman. I'm act. I'm after clearing out whatever the hell is going on in my mind. I'm about quieting the voices. I'm about quieting the urges. And the urges tell me I have to look at porn or drink or gamble or go have sex with random people. All I'm trying to do is stop that. You know, I was married uh, about 10 years before, Mm -hmm. I think 11 years, before uh, I I sought help. And we had a very healthy sex life because they served different masters. You know, when you are... I found, you know, the intimacy of of making love with my wife, the, you know, two naked bodies together, uh, the the act of sex versus the act of masturbating. They're all so very different that, um, you know, yes, they do both come with an orgasm at the end, but that is really (laughs) the only connection. And when I coach betrayal trauma sufferers, 90% 90% are females who have male addict partners. You know, I have to really work on driving that point home in the beginning that they have nothing to do with this. It's not that you're not good at having sex. It's not that you're not pretty naked. It's not anything you're doing. This guy came into the relationship with this addiction and it, anybody could be there. You could have the sexiest woman in world in, the, in bed with him. And it's not going to affect his addiction. If you think it's that, you know, he's not, you're not adventurous enough. Try bringing two of your best friends to bed the next night with you and and, and your guy. All you're going to find is that he wants two of your different friends the day after that. Because it has nothing to do with it whatsoever. And that's what's really hard for a lot of the partners who are suffering from betrayal trauma to understand. And that's what I have to get them through is realizing that this porn addiction that their that their uh, partner has is not because they're an evil weak-willed pervert it's because they have an actual disease that addiction changes your brain chemistry it rewires things it is a true brain disease and you need to i need to get partners to understand that and understand that this usually man, like I said, 95, 90% of my clients are women who are betrayal trauma and 90% of my clients are male who are porn addicts, but it can go either way. 
And so, you know, you have to understand that your partner is having something else going on. It's like if they had diabetes and you kept feeding them sugary desserts and wondering, well, what's wrong with them? Why don't they like my desserts? Why do they keep mm -hmm. having these reactions to my desserts? And it's like, mm -hmm. it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your dessert. It has to do with what's going on inside of that person's body. And it has nothing to do with you as hard as that is to understand and, and, and accept. Well, my, um, to, to my listeners, I'm, I probably think that they're thinking about themselves if they, they watch porn and they're like, oh, I wonder if I have a porn addiction. Guess what? I just want to know, like, what's wrong with looking at pornography? And at what point do you say to yourself, I have a, what, okay. what, well, when, how do you well, know? I'll, I'll, I'll take the second half of that first. Um, and that is uh, addiction is addiction is addiction is addiction. Uh, mm -hmm. There have been studies done about what happens in the brain. Now, we know that there are pleasure centers in the brain that release certain chemicals. The one that we all talk about in society these days, it's almost like a catchphrase, is the dopamine rush. But yes. there's six different there's six chemicals up there, oxytocin, oh. serotonin, melatonin, uh -huh. all those all those happy things that get released out of your pleasure centers because addicts are searching for pleasure and they find it with their addiction like nothing else. What tends to happen over time is that they basically fry their uh, pleasure receptors. I mean, I know that's what's happened to me is that it's it towards the end. It wasn't that, you know, I wanted to spend an hour or two hours looking at porn before, you know, I was finished. It's that I couldn't finish for one or two hours because I couldn't find any porn that would flood my brain with dopamine. It's just I had fried it so far. So that that's the difference between an addict and somebody who uses casually is that doesn't happen. You know, people can I know that people can drink and not become alcoholics. I look at it like mm -hmm. there there's a casino 20 minutes from my house and my wife and I go there probably about three times a year. They've got a great steakhouse that we love. And after we eat dinner, we will go and play slot machines for 20 or 30 minutes. And <laughs> I set, I set a limit for myself. I will allow myself to lose up to $50 or mm -hmm. I will, I will allow myself to win up to a hundred dollars and either 30 minutes of playing goes by or I lose my 50 or make my 100 and then I walk away. And how do I walk away? It's easy. I don't have the gambling addict gene. But I certainly can understand how people do have it. But uh -huh. I don't have it. And I can I can walk away from a casino with no problem. Now, um, I, I it's, it's very easy for me to draw a you know, parallel of, oh, I could see how you could get a lot of dopamine out of this. I could see how this could be addictive. It's not for me, but but I do get it, certainly. Um, and so that, that's really the thing is that the ad addiction is this entity. It's this condition that is so far away from normal use of something. Um, mm -hmm. It basically, it takes over your life, for lack of a better term. If you wonder if you're an addict versus just a regular user, you know, there are a few things to ask yourself, like, are you using this substance or are you engaging in a behavior that you know can have negative consequences, but you feel like you can't stop anyway? You know, do you make deals with yourself about how much you will use or how much or when you will stop 
but you can never keep those deals with yourself. Do you plan your entire day around your activity, whether it be, you know, drinking or looking at porn or, or whatever it is? You know, do mm -hmm. you choose that activity over things you used to like to do? Hang out with friends or watch TV or whatever it is you do. Do you now pick the addictive behavior over that? So those are all ways that you can tell things are going on. Um, as hmm. far as what as far as what the problem is with looking at pornography, well, like I said, there are many people who will never be addicts, and I understand that. And I will, and they will never have necessarily anything addictive happening. And I am not anti-pornography. I am uh, pro-healthy sexuality. That's what I like to tell people is that because I know there are people who can look at porn. Uh, with no problem. And I know that there are people who make porn and they're not having some kind of gun to their head to do this. It's their choice. So I'm not <laughs> going to, I'm not going to step in on that and tell them they can't do that because I don't want somebody to say, because there's a guy at the roulette table, I'm not allowed to play uh, slot machines anymore because he's got an addiction. Um, yeah. I also think it, it would be silly to be anti-porn because we are never going to get rid of pornography. Pornography has been around since the earliest of cave paintings we've discovered. If you oh. go to a you go to a museum somewhere around you, you go to their ancient gallery exhibit, you look at like some of the old pottery from Egypt and you are going to see pornography painted on the sides. You look at something wow. like the the Kama Sutra which is still mm -hmm. the go-to guide for sex positions. It comes mm -hmm. from a very conservative country of India, and it's thousands of years old. We are never mm. going to get rid of pornography wow. because pornography is part of sexuality, and sexuality is a natural good thing. What we're not doing in today's society is teaching our children about pornography mm. and about pornography use. Because now that we give every 10-year-old the greatest <laughs> porn computer ever invented in the smartphone, you know, oh, we, yeah. we're not we're not equipping them how to deal with pornography. And if you're a parent who you think you've put a filter on your kid's phone and, and they're safe. You know, you've got to realize that it is not a matter of if your kids see pornography, it's a matter of when. So they need to be they need to be prepared. You know, one of the reasons that I've devoted my life to doing this stuff is because I wonder, is there anything that somebody could have said to 10 year old Josh or 12 year old Josh or 15 year old Josh that might have changed things? I probably still would have looked at porn, but maybe I wouldn't have become an addict. And that's why I'm out there is stressing to parents that you don't have to be afraid to talk about this stuff. This is not the birds and the bees speech. This is mm -hmm. the speech that's similar to don't smoke cigarettes if you're in my house. Don't drink alcohol if you're 13 years old. Um, you know, when you're older, you can decide what you want to do with your life. But in my house, I don't want you looking at this stuff. And you can I'll make it even... You can make it even simpler for a younger kid. You know, a seven-year-old kid, you don't have to explain pornography. All you have to say is, if you see a computer or you see a phone with some naked people on it, can you come let me know? Because kids aren't supposed to look at that stuff, and I just want to make sure that you're safe. And you leave it at that. And that's all and a kid I, needs to hear. I I agree that you definitely suppose that That's parenting. Yes. Um, I remember... And this is this is a true story. I have kids, and I remember when um, 
they were little and I told them and see I make it brutal I said if you look at naked people on computers or anything your eyeballs are going to fall out and they were holding their face looking at each other because that was see every parent have their own technique you know what I mean and I felt I had to make it that bad <laughs> now but they might have done it you understand I I mean I I you have to limit the time when kids use these items but I have a question for you do you mm -hmm. agree that there could possibly be that watch porn often and does not become addicted or oh yeah they're, 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 they're known as teenage boys because okay. teenage boys watch a ridiculous amount of porn. Uh, <laughs> most boys, most boys discover porn. Uh, latest statistics, they are pre-pandemic, so it probably is worse now. Uh, uh -huh. latest, latest stats were that the average boy sees porn for the first time at 10 years old. The average boy becomes a regular watcher of porn at 13 years old. And if you want to know uh, a, a negative to porn that has nothing to do with addiction... Uh, the last time that I was able to go to a college and speak to a group right before the uh, pandemic hit, I was here at a college in Maine and I was asked to speak to a woman's sexuality group at a health center. So there's probably about 15, 15, 20 women there, all 19, 20 years old, right around there. And I gave my little speech and we went to the Q&A section and this one girl who, or I should say young woman who was probably 19 years old, maybe 18, she raised her hand and asked, have you ever talked to women our age who don't want to have sex with virgin men our age? And I said, that's different. No. What, what is that about? And what does that have to do with porn? And she pointed out to me and the moment she started talking, I figured it out. It's that. If these boys start watching porn regularly at 13, let's imagine that they only watch one video a day until they're 18. Now, we know they're watching statistically far more. But even if they only watched one video a day from 13 years old to 18, you're still talking about over 2,000 pieces of pornography they looked at. Now, if you figure they look at five videos a day, well, that's 10,000 pieces of porn that this 18-year-old kid looks at. When you look at college also, you look at statistics concerning uh, virginity and the age that the average guy loses it. The average non-college-aged guy loses his virginity at 16 years old. The average uh, college-aged guy loses his virginity at 18. I think most people think it's way younger, but it is 16 and 18. Hello? So the average college-age guy doesn't lose his virginity until college. So what has he done for the past five years? He's watched <laughs> porn. What does he learn in porn? Well, let's look at, look at even the most vanilla, boring porn on earth. Usually it's one man, one woman. The man right. is usually the aggressor. At some point in the video, he's going to have his hand around this woman's throat. At some point, he's going to be calling her derogatory names. At some point, he's going to have her bent like a pretzel. And mm -hmm. she's not going to get to do any of that to him. But he's going to do that to her. And this doesn't even go to the point that, you know, all of these videos end the same way. And it's pretty degrading um, for, for the woman. And mm -hmm. you've got to think, though. 
people like you and I who have been in normal sexual relationships, we mm -hmm. know that pornography is not a documentary. We know that pornography is not a reality show. We know that pornography is fiction. If you've had normal, regular relationship sex, you know that the farthest thing from that in the world is what you see in pornography. And, you know, you watch porn and you think that everybody's having anal sex and having three ways. And that is only true. You know, anal sex happens to less than a third of people. Three ways happens to less than 15% of people. These are not hmm. things that happen very often. But if you are raised watching porn, you think it is. So what happens when one of these women is with a virgin guy? You know, they, they finally have allowed a guy back to their room and they're going to you know, have sex. And she's had sex before usually, but he hasn't. All of a sudden, and I've heard this from multiple young women now that I have, I've learned this and brought this up and actually ask is how many of these guys will recognize they're about to have sex and then like shove the girl down onto the bed or start sounding like they're out of some two live crew video uh, with, <laughs> with, with, with the way they start talking to them. And this is not what young women want. They don't want to be treated like that because that's not how real sex is. Real sex between 18-year-olds is supposed to be a bunch of laughing and fumbling and awkwardness, but wonderfulness. And these guys who have never had sex before are trying to be little Ron Jeremy's and they can't pull that off. And they shouldn't pull that off because Ron Jeremy's sitting in a jail cell right now for everything he's done to people. And well, have, I'm sorry, I go ahead. I have two questions before yes. we wind down. Okay, so um, I would like to know porn addiction statistics and why they should scare all of us. And also I would like to know the signs of pornography addiction, just in case, you know, anyone's married. And um, because see, I'm, I believe that maybe in some marriages, a wife can catch a husband watching porn and they become uncomfortable because maybe they're not having a lot of sex within their marriage or relationship. So it's like, oh, he's addicted to porn because he's not sleeping with me when it just could have right. been one of those things. Um, yep, yep. Uh, those are the two things I would like to know before um, we wind this down. Well, I'll tell you the first thing that's sometimes interesting is that a lot of my male clients actually grow out of my relationships with my female clients who I treat for betrayal trauma. And unfortunately, though, for some of these women, I have to tell them, you're not describing a porn addict. You're describing a guy who just lied to you about his porn use. Um, you know, that that's the thing is that a lot of women um, who I've dealt with want to believe that their husband is an addict, that he has an illness, that he is sick. And I can understand why that makes it in some way more acceptable. It's not about you. It's not about him. Find them. They said they don't have to have sex with their, you know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. Thought. And I have, but I unfortunately have to tell many women along the way, you're not describing a porn addict. You're describing a partner who lies to you. You know, I told him when we <laughs> got married, there would be no porn in this house. And now there is, you know, when did he become an addict? And I was like, well, he's not, he's just a bad husband or he's a bad boyfriend. 
you know, that there's, there's a big difference between addiction and just being a dumbass. And yes. unfortunately, you have one of the dumbasses. Um, and I tell that to women who actually do have addicts as partners. I tell them, you're probably in a safer position because this guy has a problem we can address. You know, mm -hmm. if he if if he didn't if there was no addiction here, you have other issues about your relationship that you have to tackle. Addiction is is a relationship issue in that it affects a relationship, but it's not like it's lying. Um, and the thing is, unfortunately, most addicts and porn addicts do lie about it. And that's what hits the partner so rough. Most of the times, it's not even that they looked at porn that bothers them. It's that they lied to them for so long about it. And what hits the partner is the feeling of, oh, my God, he's been lying for 10 years about looking at pornography. He said he never did. And now he just admitted that he's looked once or twice a week for the last 10 years. If he got <laughs> away with this, what else did he get away with? Who is this man? I don't know who I'm married to anymore. That's where their betrayal trauma comes in. It's not necessarily that they looked at another woman naked. It's that they lied to them and they wonder who their husband really is because they never painted him as a pornography addict. And he was so well, good at hiding it. What about the husband looking at them as who they are that when they first got married, they were very satisfied sexually and then it turned into no sex. So what about those husbands that say, well, you know what? I'll look at porn for satisfaction well, instead of bugging her because she's not giving me what I want instead of stepping out of the mess. Some of those, some of those guys are addicts and they're in denial. And oh. that's one of the toughest things to deal with is to try to convince somebody that based on their descriptions, based on their symptoms, they're an addict, especially if they don't want to believe it. And it's not like, mm -hmm. you know, it's not like alcoholism where you smell and you slur and you trip, you know, it's easy to hide porn addiction. Um, so um, the problem ultimately is if you are not having sex with your partner, whether you're an addict or not, and if you're said your your libido does drop, but if you're not an addict and you're just not having a lot of sex with your partner as much as you want, you need to talk about that. Maybe you do need to go to marriage counseling. Maybe you're not sexually compatible anymore. Maybe you need to face that reality and ask yourself how important your sex life is to your marriage. But the, yeah. the connection between sex and porn is not very strong, especially among the addicted. Mm -hmm. Statistics, um, what what makes it scare off the, the, the statistics, what's going on in the world? Is it extremely uh, high? Oh, my God. I, and, and here's the thing that you have to realize is that uh, the statistics I have are all pre-pandemic. And the few statistics I have from the pandemic are so scary that when a couple years when this after this is over and we're really able to look at the numbers, I am scared to see what we're going to find. My this To me, the scariest statistic of all uh, was from a study from 2017. 
It was mm -hmm. from an organization, if anybody wants to look it up, called the Barna Group. I believe they're out of Texas. They mm -hmm. surveyed thousands of men in America of all ages, all races, religions, whatnot. What they found was in the group of males, doesn't matter where you're from or any other demographics, but males 18 to 30, Mm -hmm. 30, 32% of men 18 to 30 said that they either watch too much pornography, they are developing and they fear they de they're developing an addiction to pornography, or they believe they already have an addiction to pornography. That's 32% of our men under the age of 30. That's basically one out of three. And this was five years ago before we were all stuck at home in front of our computers. And this shows you just how much we don't, we haven't paid attention to what pornography is doing to people because of the internet. You and I remember a world before the internet, but mm -hmm. anybody who's under 25, maybe even 30 now, doesn't remember a world before the internet. They've been raised on this stuff, so it's normal. And they get to a point where they can recognize that, oh, this is not healthy. And if one out of one out of three men under 30 are now a porn addict or at least have issues with pornography, that number's only going to grow as it has historically. What happens when those men become 40 and 50 and 60? What happens when women right now, that age group, it's estimated that 18 to 20 percent are addicts? What happens because one of the fa the fastest growing group of porn addicts, number one is white, straight white women, number two is straight white black males, or I'm sorry, straight black males. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, well, white, uh, white and black, I guess, would be more Oreo related. Uh, um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, straight black males, straight white women are the two fastest growing uh, segments of the porn addict community um, because. All the straight white males, we're the guys they made porn for in the 70s, 80s, and 90s because we could be counted on to buy it. Making porn today costs nothing. Distributing porn today costs nothing. Back in, let's say, you know, the mid 80s, you would see these, you know, grungy theaters that only men were going into. Now that you can get your porn at home, well, everybody's looking at it. Men, women, old, young, people who would never be caught dead 20 years ago walking into an adult theater, walking into an adult bookstore. Well, gee, it turns out everybody has a sex drive. And now that you can get it delivered to your home through your computer or phone completely anonymously, and you can find whatever level of porn you want um, that makes you no, not freak out and makes you comfortable, um, it's, it's hitting a lot of people, but, uh, be before we wrap up, I just want to say the thing that scares me the most about this pandemic is not mm -hmm. the people who are watching porn. It's the mm -hmm. people who are making porn. Wow. Uh, the, the website only fans, uh, which is basically like Facebook meets Etsy for do it yourself porn creators. Um, it, it basically it allows you to, for those who don't know what OnlyFans is, it allows you to have a subscription page where you can put up photos in various states of undress or sexual activity, whatever you want. It can be G-rated. It can be triple X-rated. There's a lot of money to be made doing adult stuff. Do On January, uh, what's that? Do people pay to watch? Yes. You, the way the, that it works is the, the way that it works the, is that... 
let's say there's like a 22 year old man or woman who has a page. I might okay. pay $10, $10 a month to look at their page and I'll be able okay. to see some photos or some videos, but then they might say, Hey, I've got a super sexy video of me doing God knows what that's oh. an extra $5. That's an extra $10. So these wow. people make a lot of money that way. Uh, because you know, they, if you can get 300 people to follow your site for $10 a month, there's $3,000 you get, wow. you get, you know, 10 of those people to spend $20 on every video you do. There's another few thousand dollars. People are wow. making 50, $60,000 a year selling porn of themselves online. And the thing is on January 1st, 2020, before we, this you know, right before the pandemic hit, there were 300,000 people making pornography on OnlyFans worldwide. Uh, there, the owner or one of the CEOs of OnlyFans a few weeks ago when they were having some issues with one of their credit card companies said that they have over 2 million content creators now. So in the space of less than two years on this one website, we went from 300,000 people making porn to over 2 million people making porn. And that doesn't count all of the other types of webcam sites. And my mo the most recent book I did, it came out about a year ago. I actually looked at pornography online during the pandemic because the statistics were ridiculous. And I interviewed a lot of these young men and women who turned to OnlyFans because when you think about it, who are the young men and women who can make money on this site? Well, they're the they're waitresses, they're waiters, they're bartenders. These are the service employees who are generally younger, generally better looking, generally good at talking to people. Well, they were all out of jobs. And because they're younger and they were raised on the internet, with unending nudity and unending sex, it's not a big deal for them to take their clothes off for the camera. So you've got all of these millions of people around the world doing this. And what I found interviewing them was that they sounded just like people who looked at porn. Some of these, I remember this one girl who told me she was 19 or 20. She was telling me that, you know, she can't get a date in real life. Guys aren't interested in her, but she goes online and starts acting sexy on OnlyFans and guys want her number. Guys want to take her out on dates. She's getting marriage proposals and guys won't even look at her in real life. And she's doing it because it makes, she likes the money, but it makes her feel special. It makes her feel loved. And but I heard me, this from so many people. Let me just finish. I heard this from okay. so many people that what I heard, they are getting dopamine rushes making porn. And I fear that the, the pandemic is going to be remembered as the time when making pornography became an addiction, not just looking at it. Okay. So let me say one thing to the audience that I was, I, what I wanted to, um, break in for a second on the convo was to let the audience know I am not promoting OnlyFans. Oh We're no, not, no. Not and and you fans. don't don't go there. I'll just say it, don't go there because all you're doing is uh contributing to people who may be very ill and may be in a very bad situation and all you're doing is making it worse. Uh my daughter showed me OnlyFans uh about a year and a half ago as I was writing this book. 
Um, because the thing is, for people under 30 years old, 35 years old, OnlyFans is a way of life. Every one of them knows about it. Almost every one of them has a an account because they want to support their friends. One of the things that OnlyFans did that uh, kind of was like the last wall of pornography, they started to create pornography or they created a, a portal by which you can see pornography of people you know. My yeah. my daughter told me she had this account and I'm like, oh my God, are you on there? And she's like, no, no, no. I just have friends on there and I want to support them. And I'm like, you literally sign up and pay money to see porn of your friends. And it's like, well, I look at, I looked, I've looked at it just to see it, but it's just to support them. And it's like, this is incredible that there is this website that now features porn of people you know. And if you're under 30, uh, odds are you know somebody who's on this site and don't realize it. If you're under 30, you probably know 10 people on this site who are proud of it. it it's just that people over 35 don't know about this site for the most part, yet it is a normal part of everyday culture for people under 35. And that scares me because we've never seen anything like this. We don't know the long-term effects of something like this. And we're talking about a once in a hundred year situation like the pandemic. So I, I worry that this is going to be the perfect storm. And 30, 40 years from now, we're not only going to be dealing with people who are porn addicts from viewing, we're going to be dealing with people who are porn addicts from creating it because making it makes them feel so good. And wow. That that dopamine rush, whether you're looking or creating, is just as damning and can do just as much damage. Wow. So to end the podcast, could you please give information, your counselor, tell people where they can find you if they need help. Um, yeah, talk, sure. What books you've written? Okay, well, um, I will make it nice and easy for everybody and not list 5,000 things. Just go to my website and you can get everything. You can get my books. You can learn about my coaching. There are links to other resources. I write an article or two every week on there. There are links to podcasts and other interviews I've done. That website is the letter P, as in porn or as in post-betrayal trauma. It is the letter P and then the words addict recovery. So mm -hmm. paddictrecovery.com. Or if you do want to find me on social media, I'm on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Instagram's my favorite. That is just P Addict Recovery as well. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, hit the website, paddictrecovery.com. Um, I will can tell you all about my coaching. I can answer any simple questions you have. Like I said, my books are there or you can go onto Amazon and, and type my name in, but the links are there. Everything you need, if you have any questions or issues with pornography addiction or betrayal trauma, if you're the, the partner of a porn addict or sex addict, um, can be found on my website, paddictrecovery.com. Well, guys, thank listening to Mohani Loves Podcast. Let's talk about it and always know that I love you.